0: Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none.
1: Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two,
2: one.
3: We are just under two weeks away from pitchers and catchers supposedly reporting to spring training. Welcome into Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Bobby Blanco here. I'm now going to bring on our, my uh, co-host and correspondent, uh, Amy Jennings, who is joining me through the safety of her own home uh, via Zoom. Amy, thanks so much for joining me. Good to see you. How are you? Yeah, of
2: course. I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing, Bobby? Yeah, doing well. I am a
3: big snowman. So uh, not an actual snowman, but uh, I enjoy <laughs> the snow. So um, I had a really good time the past couple of days. Uh, a nice steady snowfall across the D.C. region uh, starting Sunday afternoon and leading up until I guess pretty much yesterday morning or maybe it was Tuesday morning. So I, I enjoyed it. We didn't get too much. I like that kind of snow. Right. It wasn't devastating to the area where everything gets shut down, but it was enough. Or you could go out and kind of just step around in it, maybe make a couple of snowballs. So I enjoyed myself in the snow.
2: Yeah, see here's the thing. I used to love snow and I still love snow on the weekend, but now that I work in news and having to go out at three in the morning oh and um, go all around in the snow and my boots and my coat and it's freezing cold, I don't love it so much. But at home, we didn't get a whole ton here, but at home in Hagerstown, my parents had like 11 inches.
3: My God, that's a, that's so much. I mean, we like I said, we got like two, I think, collectively over three days here in, in in the city.
2: Right, and then like up in New Jersey, they got feet worth. So we we lucked out down here.
3: Yeah, no, I again, like if it could, I was kind of just like sitting and watching it. I like again, if I could just sit and watch it gently snow over the course of three days, with it only maxing out at maybe three inches at any given time, I, I'm happy with that. I just like, it's so peaceful to me. It's so cozy. Um, I, I, I enjoyed myself.
2: Good. I'm glad
3: to hear that, Bobby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we got a lot of kids here today. We're going to hear from Mark Zuckerman later on in the podcast. Um, we are live across our social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Be sure to comment along throughout the show. I uh, will be taking comments Uh, Later on in the episode, um, Mark Zuckerman is going to join me. Like I said, we're going to talk about the ongoing labor discussions, which we'll get into in a second as well. Um, A flurry of roster moves the Nationals made, not just made, but also affected uh, the Nationals over the past couple of days. But first and foremost, Amy, we had some sad news in not just the Masson family, but uh, baseball family in general over the weekend. Longtime Nationals baseball writer. Uh, used to be for the uh, USA Today, and then, of course, for the last handful of years with Masson. Mel Antonin sadly passed away after a long battle with varying illnesses and diseases and ailments. Um, it was a sad day, sad news for all. Um, I-, I remember Mel fondly. I think I first met him back at the winter meetings in Nashville in 2015, uh, I, everything you've read about him is correct. Uh, there could not have been a more nicer person, a nicer human being. Just loved baseball, loved his family, loved his friends, uh, his coworkers and colleagues. He was j- truly a joy to be around at any given time, and it, I was sad to see him pass. Uh, I think it was over Saturday night, or maybe it was Friday night, but it, it was uh, it was definitely a difficult time for not just here at Masson, us here at Masson, but across uh, the baseball community.
2: Right. And you said it best. I mean, everything that you're seeing about him, whether it's on TV, it's people's columns, it's all over Twitter, everything, all the nice things, all the good things that people are saying about him are absolutely true. I didn't know him that well, but he's one of those guys, you know, it's tough being being a young journalist in the field and being the new guy in the office, but he was always a a friendly face and a helping hand. And what more could you ask of somebody? And, you know, I'm happy that he's at peace and my heart goes out to his friends and family.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we know if people who followed along and were and reading his uh, articles, his last couple of articles that he wrote for Massinsports.com, one of them was describing the ailments and the disease that he went through. And of course, he had a bat with COVID as well. Um, but he fought to the very end, and I'm glad that he's no longer suffering. I'm glad his family and close friends are no longer having to suffer along with him. Uh, but some of the tributes that we saw being posted over the last handful of days have been really, really nice and, and heart-touching. Um, so again like you, you so eloquently put it, hearts and th- prayers and thoughts to his friends and family um, and I'm glad that he is at peace and and as Mel would want it, uh, we're going to move along and talk about baseball I mean I, like I said he, he he just loved the sport he loved talking about the sport you heard some accounts of him wanting to talk about um, baseball even in his last couple of days so we're going to honor that idea and, and and his love for the game and and talk about a not so a joyous part of baseball right now, Amy, we're right back where we started more labor discussions between both the league and the players union. We've heard earlier in the week that of course, major league baseball made a proposal to push back the start of the regular season and spring training by about a month, uh, and hopefully getting more access to, uh, the vaccine for players and staff members, uh, the union, like we anticipated, rejected that offer. Now we're hearing reports that the union has even uh, ignoring calls from uh, government officials who wanted them to shut down, or not shut down, but delay the start of the regular season. Kind of a whirlwind week. Uh, it's it's odd that we're having to deal with this just two weeks ahead of spring training, but we're kind of back where we started when baseball shut down uh, around this time a year ago.
2: Right, that's what I was going to say. It seems like baseball was on the wrong um, time span at the beginning of this because they caught the beginning of, of this pandemic when everything began to shut down. And now they're catching the other end when the vaccine is just starting to roll out and it's kind of this awkward crossroads because we don't know whether they should go forward or kind of hold back and wait. So they kind of caught the bad end of the stick two times around now. Um, But it it is kind of frustrating that this comes just two weeks uh, before spring training when guys are already at spring training and pitchers are getting things going already. Um, I get it because everything's changing. Everything's fluid. What might be true today might not be true tomorrow. So it kind of makes sense that they waited to the last minute to make this proposal. Um, just two weeks before before spring training was supposed to kick off. But it is also frustrating and kind of unrealistic. Like, we know realistically, unless they probably pay a hefty price, that you can't just go out and give these athletes the vaccine over everybody who, who is already in line to get it as much as they, they might think. And they're not realistically going to work out that kind of deal just a few weeks before spring training.
3: Yeah, I, I... I totally agree, and I, I thought the timing of it was weird. Um, you know, we're gonna hear from Mark Zuckerman and his thoughts on it too. He was obviously way more in touch. He wrote a couple articles on Massinsports.com about it, but I, I thought it was we, we had three months to do this, Amy. I mean, I I know it's a come kind of it's a very much a fluid situation. There's a lot of changing pieces, and uh, anything can change in the job of a hat, but you know, since the end of the World Series in late October, early November until now, there was three full months to at least have a framework done, right? At least have something put in place and and maybe a plan B and plan C in case this, this, and this happens. And yet here we are, I think it was, you know, February 1st and we're now having what we have been reported first discussions between the two sides. And to me, that's just, that's like irresponsible. It seems like, both sides want each other to fail, right? They're kind of pointing at each other, putting the blame on one another and, and not working together. And this is, of course, ahead of the collective bargaining agreement expiring a year from now, and, and they're going to have to renegotiate a new CBA. And I'm sure that will go over well, but this could have been an opportunity. And we said this all last summer too, leading up to the season, right? There's plenty of opportunity to make peace here and, and, and establish some kind of uh, healthy working environment And I think the fact that both sides wait until this moment just signifies like they're not working toward the good of the game, right? They're working for each other's, uh, their own personal interests on either side. And they don't really care how this shakes out as long as they prove to be right and the other side is wrong.
2: Yeah, I think this is foreshadowing a lot to come between these two sides of it but here's what's so frustrating to me is that you know I get a lot is fluid and a lot is changing but what we know and and they want fans in the stands and I get it they can't go 160 games and and have no fans in the stands it's just not realistic so hoping that you can push it back the season back a couple of weeks means that you get fans in that much sooner towards the start start of the season but what we have known is that this is going to be covid is going to be involved in this season it's not magically going to disappear and what i don't understand is why all the rules that apply to to, to last season aren't applied to this season i know the dh and, and expand, expanded playoffs were in these proposals but what about all the other rules i mean without fans i can't imagine they're going to play nine inning day night double headers it doesn't make sense um what about the expanded rosters i mean COVID's still going to be around there's likely going to be an outbreak at some point um if because we know they're not in the bubble and realistically they're probably not all going to have vaccines so that's going to happen at some point it's just like all these factors that we know are going to be there Are still going to be there and they could have been worked out for the last three months and I think they should have and I think we're forgetting all of that like it's really not that much different than last season, other than it's not going to be just 60 games.
3: Yeah, if anything, they should be more prepared for this outcome or uh, having just gone through a shortened season, they should be more prepared for this. What I don't understand too, Amy, the other side of this is like you mentioned all the discussions about the rule change and everything, but there haven't been enough discussions, at least in my eyes. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong and I'll ask Mark Zuckerman about it in in a few, but I I haven't seen a lot of discussions about protocols, health and safety protocols. We've talked a lot about is there a universal DH? Are we going to have a shortened season or have expanded playoffs? Um, our players can get paid in full but we had not talked enough about are, are they're still going to get everyday testing what kind of availability will the vaccine have uh for these players and staff members as well and coaches and it's not just players there's uh, thousands of hundreds of people who are a part of major league baseball getting a season together uh, and operating to its full function they need access to the, a vaccine as well so i, I Again, we are 13 days from the start of supposedly start of spring training, less than two weeks. And we don't even know if they're going to have the same access to testing and then the vaccine once that's available. And not to mention, hello, they're also going to two hotspots in the country in Arizona and Florida uh, where where the vaccine or the virus is still very much uh, prevalent and, and the numbers aren't getting any better anytime soon.
2: Right. And I get that's what, you know, we talk about how it changes and it's so fluid. That's part of it. You know, they, the numbers could be super high today and, and a little less tomorrow and in two weeks from now, even lower. But these are two areas of the country that all, always been particularly high and they're sending them there. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. It's going to be interesting to see uh, less than a year now how this all comes to a head. Um, I imagine it's going to be we're going to be talking a lot about it, Bobby.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's enough for today. It's a very frustrating thing because uh, we're just kind of circling back to where we began, like I mentioned um, it's a bad look for the league. It's a bad look for the sport. You look at other te- other sports. I mean, you mentioned if and when a player tests, but it's going to happen. They're going to have an outbreak. Football did. Basketball does. Hockey does. Uh, it's about to happen. And yet we're here. We are arguing about full pay and and, and rights and, and postseason rights and stuff like that, as opposed to how are we going to protect our players and staffers throughout the course of a regular season if we get to that point. And, of course, the virus could change everything between now and then. Hopefully not. Hopefully we have pitchers and catchers reporting uh, in two weeks and an opening day on April 1st which they're planning on doing right now, but everything could very much change. And um, we're hoping that they get underway. It's just a bad look for the league and the sport in general. And this is how exactly how you turn off young fans, right? You you know, they're trying to engage more young fans and attract more young viewers uh, to play the game, to watch the game, to take part in the game. And this is exactly how you turn them off and and how they're going to go and watch more hockey and basketball and, and football.
2: I know it's frustrating, Bobby. But yeah. on to the good news. On to the Nationals news for all you Nationals fans. They, we we saw we see a new hello, we see a goodbye, and we see a hello again.
3: Yeah, uh, I had a tough. T- Sometimes I have trouble uh, writing the captions uh, for these uh, podcasts, Amy. I did not have such trouble this time. Hello, goodbye. Of course, classic Beatles song, and then hello again. We have an old friend coming back. Uh, but let's start with Alex Avila. We ended last week's podcast talking about how the Nationals will fill the backup catcher role, right? JT Romuto signed or re-signed with the Phillies. Um, They were going through a list of, of free agent catchers still on the board. I think we briefly mentioned Alex Sevilla. I don't think he was too high on anyone's radar, but once again, kind of like the John Lester signing, you Dig deeper into his numbers, into his history, and you kind of think this actually kind of makes sense to, to bring him to D.C. He's caught Max Scherzer extensively uh, in Detroit. He caught Patrick Corbin a little bit in uh, in uh, Arizona and also John Lester a little bit in Chicago. Uh, so he's familiar with three of your known four starter pitches already. He's got a veteran experience. Um it's a kind of a, a low cost deal. So you know, Jan Gomes is going to be your everyday catcher. And this guy does not seem to be uh, too bad of a backup to have uh, catching uh, your ace pitching staff.
2: Right after we knew they weren't going to go after the, the JT Real Mutas of the market, we kind of figured that it would be a guy like this, a veteran guy that they didn't have to play a, pay a whole lot, who has experience not only in the league, but with your pitching staff. Just like you mentioned, he has experience with three-fifths of this pitching staff in that he's caught Max Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, and uh John Lester in the previous teams that he's been with. Um He's actually caught – um Max Scherzer 107 times so that's a whole lot and they have a pretty good relationship and we'll hear about that in just a little bit but this is a guy I mean veteran guy been around nothing too crazy but but he has above average defense. Um, he's thrown out 14 of 32 runners trying to steal over the past two seasons. He's a 30% caught stealing rate over his career, which is better than the league average, which is at 27%. So above average de- defense, fine offense. He's a lefty bat you can throw in there, um, and I think he's up up for the job.
3: Yeah, I would hope so. And um, I think the the experience he has catching Max is, is a huge selling point too. We don't know if he's going to be Max's everyday catcher. I would assume. He would catch Max a handful of times, and maybe it could evolve into that. Um, but, you know, it, it's an experienced guy. He's been around the block. He has postseason um, numbers and, and 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 a resume there. Uh, you know, you take a look at his offensive numbers last year, though. Nothing too crazy with the Twins. They only played in 23 games. Uh, didn't hit 200, so hit below the Mendoza line. Only the one home run and two RBIs. Uh, with 11 walks, but he wasn't the everyday guy there. He was a kind of a backup role there as well. Uh, And with that being the case here in D.C., maybe that takes some pressure off him. Uh, You know, 23 games out of six, that's almost half. Uh, So that's kind of a heavy workload splitting time there. Maybe he doesn't have to work that many. Maybe it can be more of a a two-thirds and a third kind of workload between him and Young Gomes. Uh, But, you know, the off like you mentioned, some of the numbers aren't very eye-popping. Uh, but it, you know, it's he's 34 years old. Actually, he turned 34, I believe, on the day that the the or the day before that uh, the report came out that he signed with the Nationals. Um, so he's been around the block. Veteran catcher. We know Mike Rizzo likes to pair veteran catchers together. Uh, see Wilson Ramos uh, go back to uh, uh, Matt Wieters, and then of course Kurt, Kurt Suzuki and Jan Gomes. But Alex Zavia, the backup catcher, not a bad signing, and that kind of completes Mike Rizzo's shopping list for this off season.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, he he fills a hole that they need, and we know they went out and spent money on on other positions, and they didn't have a whole lot of money to spend here, at least we predicted, and and he's one year, one and a half million dollar deal, kind of exactly what what they expected, and Mark Zuckerman had a really good article this week um, about how the Nationals haven't really drafted and developed pitchers in their organization, Um, In fact, the nine the nine catchers who have played the most for the Nationals since 2005 all came from other organizations. So it's kind of a hole that they've just been willing to to patch up here and there. And they don't really have any any up and coming stars at that catcher position. Um, They have Rowdy Reed who's kind of just been around forever, but it's time he's going to have to perform here soon, come up or. I feel like his career in uh, Washington is pretty much over. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. Maybe they'll go out next year and kind of get their catcher of the future. Maybe this is a setup for that. Um, but he's he's certainly just a temporary fix. Um, but he's going to be a good veteran pres- presence, and he's going to be exactly what the Nationals need, especially on on the budget that they had allotted or seemed to have allotted for that position.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you know, I think that catcher can sometimes be – uh, maybe even along with first base positions that you kind of piece together. You want staples in your rotation back end of the bullpen, shortstop, corner outfielder, maybe even center field, third base. Um, and, and the Nationals have proven that they can kind of get by with piecing together the catcher position. But at what point do you just want a solidified guy to be there for the long term and, and, and work with these catcher uh, with these pitchers? Now, when you have a pitching staff like the Nationals have had over the past decade plus, you don't really need a star young catcher right there because Defensive-wise, the pitchers pretty much doing most of the work when you guys like Scherzer, Strasburg, now uh, Corbin, and and Lester, and then see also Zimmerman, Pfister, Sanchez, Gonzalez of the past. So it it obviously wasn't a a thing of need for uh, Mike Rizzo over the past handful of years, uh, but maybe we're getting to that point where, hey, you're not going to be able to get by with just piecing together. 35 year old catchers for a course of a full season. You need some offensive production from there too. You need better defense uh, making plays at the plate uh, and and a young catcher might need to be brought up through the system, either through the draft or international signing. And so let me see how he approaches that
2: because they've invested so much in this pitching staff and they've invested so much in the pitching staff of the future so you want a guy back there who can catch them I mean no matter how good your pitcher is if you have bad defense behind the plate you're going to get exposed at some point and sometimes those can can be the most costly errors Um, you know so you you don't want Nationals fans to become frustrated when you have such a talented pitching staff and nobody back there to catch them
3: yeah absolutely Uh, well let's hear from Alex Avila he uh, spoke to the media just yesterday and of Of course, a hot topic that he was being asked a lot about is his relationship with Max Scherzer. Of course, caught him a couple years in Detroit um, and and including his Cy Young year in 2013 uh, with the Tigers. Uh, He has a great relationship, and he even said that Max was one of the first people to text him when the news broke that he'd be joining the Nationals.
1: Well, it'll be a lot of fun catching Max again. He was always one of my uh, favorite guys to catch. He was always so well-prepared going into games, Uh, and I got to watch him develop. Uh, really uh, into what he is now and uh, so it'll be a thrill for me to be able to catch him again I'm excited to be able to work with him again he was the first guy that actually texted me once the news broke uh, uh, a few days ago so it's, it's gonna be a lot of fun okay thank you you're welcome Mark Zuckerman master Alex,
0: welcome um, along those lines. I mean, you caught Max at a different stage in his career. He was really good back then. He's a different pitcher now, maybe. Um, how do you sense he's changed and what part of that are you looking forward to working with him again as, as maybe not quite the same guy that you used to know?
1: Well, that's, that's uh, part of the excitement for me is seeing where, uh, where he's gotten better at, um, you know, and what he's learned the years that, that we haven't played together uh, like you said, it was a different stage of his career. He was uh, still figuring himself out. And, uh, you know, I got to see that over the course of the five years or so we were teammates and it kind of culminated into a really good year for him in 2013. Uh, but then he's taken it to a whole other level, obviously, um, after signing with, uh, with na- the Nationals. So it'll be interesting and part of the excitement for me to see what he's learned uh, over the last few years. And and what he's uh and what he's been able to do so and to be honest, with you, I'm just gonna try to help continue that for him. Uh, well, yeah, I mean it started early on. Uh, he was, you know, my job obviously Detroit catching the staff that we had was uh, figuring out you know each guy's personality and what made him tick, and we had very different personalities uh, throughout that staff. And Max uh, obviously is extremely intense. very analytical in his approach and his game planning and um you know i think he was probably one of the first guys to actually start looking at some of the data that um you know that we kind of had available in detroit before all the uh, analytics started coming into play and you know we incorporated that into the game plan uh, in detroit at that time i'm sure it's very different now the way he prepares but um you know and then when he was on the mound during the game you know, it wasn't too, it wasn't too long for me to figure out that, you know, he, he likes to be fired up. He likes to, to be challenged. And, um, you know, that, that kind of takes him to the next level, um, competitively. And, you know, that's something that I've, I've always enjoyed, uh, um, when I watch him pitch and you see that coming out of him because he, he definitely wears his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, one of Max's, uh, texts, he's like, yeah, you get on, I'll drive you in. So, um, maybe we can, uh, get max a few rbis
3: i don't know how many rbi opportunities realistically that uh, Mike max scherzer is going to have but um uh, he said that he hopes to give alex avia a couple chances to drive him in we know how competitive max is uh in terms of getting his at bats and and not wasting at bats but uh we we also don't even know if the dh is going to be a thing or not in the national league for sure this year so but i mean just to hear how in-depth their relationship goes back. Of course, you mentioned the numbers of him catching uh, Max Scherzer so many times back in Detroit. He's actually caught Max the most of any catcher uh, in Max's career. So this is a guy that he's very familiar with. We know that Max likes to have a deep understanding with his catchers, and it, that helps him get into a groove when he's making his starts. Um, and Alex Villa should be uh, a seamless transition from throwing to either Suzuki or Jan Gomes.
2: Right. That's really awesome to hear because I would imagine there's a little bit of hesitancy when you bring, not hesitancy, but worry when you bring in a new catcher that that they're not going to click with your pitching staff. Um, that's a really important relationship between a pitcher and catcher, um, probably the most important relationship on the field. So to, to hear that they have this connection that dates way back to their time in Detroit is exciting um, and seems like a really good fit for Alex Avila.
3: Yeah, and we already mentioned um, of course, the, the, the low cost that it has. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, the Nationals do have two other catchers, Wellington Casillo being one of them coming into spring training on um, non-roster invitee uh, invitations. So, uh, you know, there, there'll be a handful of catchers and they're fighting for those major league spots. We expect, though, Jan Gomes and Alex Vieta obviously, to break camp and be those first two starting catchers out of the gate on opening day. Um, moving on. Uh, The goodbye part of the title, hello, goodbye, hello again, is, of course, uh, Sean Doolittle. You know, this had come down or been um, in the works probably for a while now. Amy, we have discussed at length Brad Hand signing with the Nationals, uh, probably the best, uh, not just left-hander, but overall relief pitcher on this past free agent market. And now Sean Doolittle uh, has moved on, uh, signing a one-year deal with the Cincinnati Reds, um, or at least agreeing to it. I don't think it's been made official yet, um, but you know, we thought if Sean Doodle was going to come back to the nationals, it would have to be on a, a low cost deal, maybe even a minor league deal and work his way into that bullpen rotation. Uh, they're still in search of a lefty, but Sean Doodle got a major league deal. I think it's a one and a half million dollar reportedly with the Cincinnati Reds, uh, effectively ending his career here in Washington, D.C.
2: And this is a a sad goodbye, because there's so much talks about not only on the field, um, because he had some outstanding years in Washington, but off the field, he's just such a class act, you know, he stood up for what was right always, and he could always be be the guy that was available in the clubhouse to talk to win, lose, bad outing or not, um, the media could go on, go to him and count to him and he would say something meaningful. Um, he was always thoughtful um, and you could just tell he always put, put his best self out there. So that's a really sad goodbye, I would imagine, for fans um, also. And it's kind of tough to evaluate at this point in time how big of a loss it is for the Nationals. We talked about maybe they would be the team to give him a chance because they know him best. Um, at this point in his career. And it's hard to tell because he had such a bad 2020. If you remember, he went on the IL early in the season with knee inflammation. He came back, he tweaked his mechanics, he relied more on his secondary pitches, he looked improved, um, didn't give up a run in his next six outings, and then went back on the IL. Um, and finished the season there with, with a strained oblique. But then also, um, during his time with the Nationals for a for stint, he was arguably maybe the, the best reliever in the game at the time. This is coming from um, a Mark Zuckerman article earlier this week. From his debut, July 18, 2017, to May 15, 2019, he made 91 appearances. He posted a 1.72 ERA, which was the second-best among all uh, relievers in baseball and a .819 whip, which was the best if of relievers in baseball. And he converted 52 of his 55 save opportunities, which is a 95% success rate. Um, and that was the best of any reliever that had five or more saves. Um, during that season. So for a stent, he could have arguably been the best reliever in baseball. And then you look at 2020 where he struggled so much. Um, You can kind of push aside his struggles in in 2019 because they really overworked him. It was from overuse and fatigue. Um, But you just didn't know what you saw in 2020. So it's exciting for him that a team is taking, taking, um, taking a chance, if you will, letting him have this comeback year. But it's a sad goodbye for Nationals fans and kind of hard to evaluate how much they could have used him in their bullpen in 2021.
3: Yeah. And you mentioned those numbers. I think the, the point that Mark was trying to make there is that I, every, a lot's been said about what Sean Doolittle and his wife, Aaron have meant to this city, uh, over the, the years that they've been here, uh, their work in the community. Uh, obviously there, you mentioned how vocal they've been against important, uh, oh, in support of important, important issues. Uh, but don't forget how great of a player Sean Doolittle was here. I mean, looking at his numbers, um, Over the course of the four seasons, of course, that was the latter half of 2017 and a shorter 2020, um, you know, over 140 innings. He went 10 and 10, 75 saves, over 160 strikeouts, a ERA just around three. Um, And, you know, if you take those numbers away, like you just mentioned from Mark's article, those numbers come down. Uh, at least in terms of ERA, significantly, and, and he's been one of the best relievers in baseball—not just, uh, just a left-hander, not just a setup man or a closer, but all of relievers. So uh, this was definitely a great find by Mike Rizzo and his staff. Uh, trading for him from the athletics with uh, Ryan Madsen back um, in in 2017. Of course, he helped them win a World Series championship in 2019. They don't win that championship without him. I mean, he held that bullpen above water. Actually, I guess it technically was just barely above water, right? He was the only part above water uh, uh, from that bullpen in the early parts of 2019 uh, that kept them – I don't think that they make the playoffs without him and the efforts that he made. Now, it came at a cost, right? He got hurt. He was overworked, like you mentioned, uh, and, and, and the team suffered later down the stretch. But then he bounced back, had a good, strong uh, finish to the end of the regular season, a great postseason, recording that last out in the uh, NLDS against the Dodgers, the Nationals' first playoff series victory. Um, And, and of course, pitched well throughout the remainder of the postseason. So, uh, And and don't forget, he took over closing duties when uh, Daniel Hudson missed uh, game one against the Cardinals in the NLCS because he was having uh, a baby being born. So Sean Doolittle meant so much to this city, both on the field and off the field. Um, And and I I think that, to me, it's crazy that he's already gone. I remember when he was traded here and, and the Nationals acquired him, it seemed like his... His contract, I mean, they had so many years of control and it felt like, oh, this guy's going to be around here forever. This is great. And like that, it was gone. And of course, you you know, him only being here for the second half of the 2017 season and, you know, two months in 2020, basically, also being hurt for a good chunk of that too doesn't help. But uh, only getting two full seasons of Sean Doolittle seems like uh, it went by way too fast. Um, And we wish him well. We hope that he is able to kind of rejuvenate his career in Cincinnati um, and bounce back.
2: Right, because let's not forget when they traded for him, the Nationals had the worst bullpen in the whole league and he kind of turned it around. I mean, they still had their woes uh, throughout his years in Washington, but he was the anchor of that bullpen for his entire time um in dc i mean he finished four of the 12 wins in the 2019 postseason run to eventually run the world win the world series so he was a huge part of that team um a huge part of that bullpen really the anchor um his entire time here and hopefully he can have a a bounce back season we know he can bounce back we know how hard he works we saw it in 2019 he came back and hopefully he can do it again for the reds in a young bullpen where i imagine he'll be a big piece
3: yeah. I would hope so too. And it sounds like a, that would be a good landing spot for him. Um, uh, and, and like you mentioned in a younger bullpen, and maybe he can be kind of that veteran presence. Um, I had to dig back a little bit. Uh, this is back from way at the end of September. It was the last day of the regular season, actually. And Sean Doolittle met with the media. Um, he was named the Nationals media members good guy of the year. I think that was the second year in a row he had won it. Uh, and, and, Without really knowing at the time, this was going to be Sean Doolittle's last time speaking with the D.C. media, uh, and he kind of reflected on his time here in D.C., and and more importantly, what the Nationals fans meant to him in, in that entire 2019 postseason run and all the years that he's been here. So here's Sean Doolittle talking about his relationship with the Nationals fans.
4: I think this season has been so unique, and it's since um, especially since my injury, um, I found myself focusing on um rather than the uncertainty of like free agency and what's going to happen next just like how lucky I was to be here for the last 4 years and you know really how cool <laughs> winning the world series really was and how special it was that we were able to accomplish that i think about when it when i think about the world series like just what made the the whole experience so special was the way that the fans really impacted that run that we went on, whether, you know, playing at a home Nats Park sold out with our fans going crazy. Um, fortunately, we didn't get them a win, but, like, that was, that was so special. And it was incredible to see the response from the city and, and all the Nats fans and then going down there to to Houston and playing in front of a sold-out crowd of their fans and you know being on the other side of it. But you you you're remind when you look back on that experience now after going through this weird 2020 season, you're reminded of the of how important fans are to this game and the impact that they play um, you know on, on every game and the way that they're able to help you rise to the occasion and and elevate your game. Um, And we've absolutely missed that aspect of the games this year, not having fans in the stands. Um, And um, so when I think back on, you know, 2020 and and 2019, that's definitely one of the biggest differences and one of the things that I miss the most. Um, So, Yeah, I mean, I'm incredible. I've just been thinking about how incredibly grateful I, I, I've been to be a part of this group, to win a World Series with this organization and with this group of people, um, not just my teammates. My teammates are amazing. Um, you guys know I love my teammates. But, like, the people here in the organization, the, the medical staff, the trainers, the, uh, the strength coaches, uh, the whole coaching staff, like the support staff that we have back there, uh, in the clubhouse, um, winning a world series with them and then grinding out like a weird 2020 with those people. Like there's not another group that I would have wanted to do that with. So, um, it's been, uh, it's been a privilege.
3: It is really sad to hear that. And then think that The last time we saw Sean Doolittle in a Nationals uniform, he was kind of hobbling off the field after straining his oblique. Um, Like you mentioned, coming back after a couple strong outings after returning from the IL and then ending his season. Um, He would also mentioned in that press conference, I did not even think about this, Amy, but when I I first went back and listened to it, he talked about how that Friday of the last weekend of the regular season, he went in for treatment um, and then went home. Because, of course, with the protocols, he couldn't stay there. But after that, he wasn't allowed back to the park uh, because, you know, he was not he was on the I.L. He wasn't going to play. His treatment was pretty much over with the national staff. So he didn't get that goodbye, not only from a stadium of fans, of Nationals fans, but even his own teammates. He couldn't say goodbye to in person, which is actually truly heartbreaking when you think about how much he meant to this team over the past couple of years.
2: Right. That's, that's a tough way to go out, especially when you don't get to say your goodbyes, get your final outing. Um, and especially when it's not in front of fans, um, I'm just happy that that wasn't the end of his career. Um, and then he's going to get another chance, hopefully in front of fans pretty soon, uh, to go back out there, but it's sad to see him go sad that he had to go out that way, um, from DC, but we wish him the best of luck.
3: Absolutely. And I will always thank him, uh, for coming on. Uh, this podcast um, on, on May the 4th with me and Mark Zuckerman to talk about Star Wars during a, a pandemic and a shutdown of, of baseball. So always be thankful for that. And I'll always remember him carrying his lightsaber around all those world those celebrations during the World Series run. Uh, I know, we keep those,
2: those videos and photos for, <laughs> forever. So great, a-
3: yeah. i got to back them up somewhere so I never, ever lose them. Uh-huh. All right, from one do to do 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 do, do. Uh, we oh, lose.
2: That was good, Bobby. Thank
3: you, thank you. I, I learned. I learned way too much from Paul mankind. Guys,
2: he's been practicing that a
3: day. <laughs> I have, I have. I'm
2: gonna,
3: um, nail I'm gonna nail it. going nail it. We lose Sean Doolittle, but Baby Shark Gerardo Parra is back. This kind of broke out of left field that last night. I mean, we had literally just gotten off a Zoom call with Alex Avila, and, and the news broke that Gerardo Parra is re-signing with the Nationals on a minor league deal and an invite to spring training. Um, just to kind of real quick, before we get to chat with Mark Zuckerman, Amy, um, you know, your first reaction when you saw that Paro was coming back and, uh, what he could mean to this club in 2021.
2: I mean, he's just such the, the, the teammate and the clubhouse presence. Um, I was looking back at this interview that Alex Chapel did with Max Scherzer, um, in 2019. Um, and these are some of the things he said about him. He knows how to keep a clubhouse loose. He knows what a team needs to hear. And he said he he. Um, sometimes you can't always explain it. But when you find it, you know what it is talking about his uh, his clubhouse presence, because he saw far when when he was just a rookie. He saw him hit in his debut when he hit a home run at his first at bat. That was over 10 years ago. Um, with the Diamondbacks and then they reunited in DC. So, so for, for that guy, the ace of your rotation to be saying those things about a guy in his clubhouse presence is really important because that's the kind of guy you want to round. whether there's going to be room on for him on this roster, um, especially with it, with the good, going back to its normal size, probably not expanded this season. We're not really sure because we know um, Andrew Stevenson's probably going to earn that fourth outfielder spot. Would imagine they'll carry five, but it, it's hard to tell um, whether whether he'll even be making this team. But we do know what an important part of that playoff run he was. What an important presence he is in that clubhouse. And Nats fans have to be happy to see him back.
3: Yeah, I'm just happy that we get to hear Baby Shark again in the in the stadium, possibly, uh, if he makes the team and, and uh, is going to get a couple of bats at Nationals Park. Um, but, Amy, uh, you know, we've got a comment on Facebook. We're live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube from Chad Brinkman. Will Power Make the Team? Um, remains to be seen. Of course, a minor league deal is no guarantee. Uh, you got to work your way up and earn your spot. There is a roster spot open, but, you know, I, I don't see – I don't know – Look, I think he, yes, he can make the team. Obviously, he's, Davey Martinez is fond of him. There are players in that clubhouse who are fond of him. Um, we've seen him produce too. I mean, let's pull up his numbers from the time, the short time he was with the Nationals in 2019. He played in 89 games. I, that kind of snuck up on me when I went to go back to look at his numbers from that year, that he almost played 90 games uh, with a 250 average and he hit eight home runs, um, which is, which, again, I was surprised to hear that. Now, the problem is, like you mentioned, he kind of plays the same position that Andrew Stevenson does, so I don't know if they need two backup left-handed batting corner outfielders, but you never know. Uh, if anything, he could be that kind of guy that is just a moral supporter for this team uh, and, and is there for them when they need him in a pinch. Um, uh, he you know, could be a pinch runner. I don't know how fast he is anymore, but he could be a defensive replacement or, or just a pinch batter when they need it or if, you know, an extended or uh, already used um, Andrew Stevenson. So his role on this team, to be determined, of course he has to make it first and foremost, but I think this is more of a rejuvenating signing than anything. Kind of get not just fans, but the teammates excited for baseball again and just have him around. We know Juan Soto and Victor Robles and the little Latin players loved having him around. He was a great help to them in terms of their development over the course of the 2019 season. And just enjoying baseball, right? And just having fun. They play a sport for a living. Just have fun with it. And uh, Gerardo Paro definitely exemplifies that and how he carries himself day in and day out. So if anything, this was a moral boost. And him making the team would just be an added plus.
2: Right, because you remember in 2019, it seemed like, I mean, this team just gelled. You saw them dancing after home runs, and they were so exciting to watch, and they didn't have that same spirit in 2020, understandably so. It was such a crazy year, such a crazy season, um, but you remember the position that the Nationals were in, in May 2019 when they picked up Harado Para, and then how their season completely turned around. I mean, in his first start with the Nationals, he hit the go-ahead Grand Slam. And from, from then, things just kicked off. I mean, he was in that slump, and then Baby Shark was his walk-up song all of a sudden, and and he, he got a hit, and it, it went from there. And he was really a spark. And some, some of his teammates attributed that turnaround of the season to him specifically. Um, so that just goes to show you between that and the things that Max Scherzer was saying about him just goes to show just how important he is to that clubhouse and what could be a spark uh, that they need in a a big part of how they're going to gel in 2021. You never know. It's obviously not a given that they'll make the roster. It might be a little tight there at the end, but I think spring training will hopefully work out a lot of those kinks and make a lot of those decisions for themselves.
3: Yeah, I I think players and fans alike should be excited that uh, Gerardo Parra is back and you know, it'll be it'll be if anything, an interesting storyline to follow throughout spring training. See how he's not just gelling with the team and making them more relaxed, but also how he's performing, and see if he has a legit chance of making the opening day roster. Um, and and you know, just because even if he doesn't, that doesn't mean it's over. The Nationals clearly have an interest in like the guy, right? You know, Davey Martinez is of course very fond of him. So even if he doesn't make the club right out of the gate, that doesn't mean. Uh, the door is closed forever. He could possibly come back throughout the regular season um, and, and he help maybe in a long, another hopefully long postseason run throughout October. Um, all right, Amy, let's, we're going to get out of here real quick uh, before so we can get Mark on to the podcast and have him talk about some stuff as well. But real quick, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, Bucks Chiefs, who do you have?
2: I have the Chiefs. I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan. This is uh, back-to-back. Uh, I'm with it.
3: Yeah. All right. That's short and sweet. I what like it. You,
2: I want to hear your take before we...
3: I'm not a Tom Brady guy. I, I, I respect him. I understand that he's the best to ever do it. I get that. doesn't mean I have to like him or root for him. I, I am actively rooting against the Buccaneers, actively rooting for the Chiefs. I hope they pull it out. Uh, if I'm making a prediction, I'm going to predict the Chiefs win, but I think it's going to be close and high scoring. But I'm, I'm going to go for the Chiefs over the yeah, Bucs. Yeah,
2: it's going to be, be a one-score game. Hopefully, it'll be a good game. I mean, that's what you want to hear. Our team's not in it, so... All you can expect is a good game, but I'm with you on that. Yeah, that.
3: It, yeah, exactly. Well, we appreciate everyone tuning in. Of course, check out the Mass and All Access podcast on all your favorite platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. Uh, subscribe, like, share, spread the word. We really appreciate you guys commenting along, too, um, on Facebook and Twitter and, and YouTube. Uh, wherever you can watch the podcast, you can catch us every week as well. So we really appreciate everyone becoming a part of the show. Amy, thanks very much for joining me uh, to, give her a follow on Twitter at Amy Jennings news. We'll see you next week.
2: You next week, Bobby.
3: All right. Well, I teased it all episode long. Talk to Mark Zuckerman of Massinsports.com earlier this week, uh, or actually earlier today to talk about some of the things going on in baseball and the national specifically, including the return of Para. Take a look. Back on the Mass and All Access podcast, and I'm going to bring in our MassinSports.com Nationals beat writer, Mark Zuckerman, from the safety of his own home. Mark, it's been a while since we've talked on air. Good to see you. How have you been? Thanks so much for the time.
0: Uh, it's good to see you too, Bobby. You, you're in a different location than I'm used to seeing you. I'm still in my same old basement location here that hasn't changed. At all in months, unfortunately.
3: <laughs> yeah, I moved out of the basement. I moved out of my parents' basement finally at the uh, ripe age of uh, 28. Um, no, just kidding. I, we I finally my girlfriend and I finally were able to rent a house in DC. Um, so we are moved out, got our own spot, um, and uh, and uh, my new studio is in our uh, our office space. So it's been actually a nice transition coming from my basement to now a more up level uh, uh, area. Welcome to
0: adulthood, Bobby.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a long time coming. Um, (laughs) My parents will be thrilled that I made it. Um, Before we get to um, the Nationals and uh, more specifics on the team as we get inch and inch closer and closer to what we expect to be spring training, of course, the news uh, earlier this week, um, or maybe lack thereof, about the, the ongoing discussions or not discussions between the league and the union, Mark. I feel like now, ever since uh, a year ago at this time, this time a year ago, we've been talking about more about labor discussions than actual baseball. Uh, Michael Scott style. Explain to me like I'm five. Are we going to have baseball starting on time? What does all these discussions and the MLB reject or the players' union rejecting MLB's proposal mean? Uh, How is this all going to shape up leading up to pitchers and catchers reporting in a couple of weeks?
0: That's what she said. That's what Michael would respond, right? No. Yep. Oh, no. Wait a minute. Sorry. <laughs> wrong, wrong subject. Um, look, they're going to start on time spring training. I, I don't think much is going to change now. We're kind of too close to the end. Players are already reporting a lot of places to get themselves ready. That was among the reasons why they didn't want to delay anything from the player standpoint. They feel like they've already built up to be ready for February 17th. So they're going to do that. Um, they intend to play the full Uh, spring training in Florida and Arizona, I could see some modifications to the game schedule down there, maybe trying to reduce the travel and have more like clusters of teams that are uh, closely located. You know, maybe the Nats just kind of stick around the Palm beach area and just play those teams. Um, I've, I've heard some rumblings. That's a possibility, but if they get through the spring training, yeah, April 1st is opening day and I think they intend to play a full 162 game season. Now, All this, of course, is subject to change because all it takes, uh, you know, would be a few outbreaks of the virus at at various camps. Maybe some teams have to shut down for seven to 10 days and that's going to change the whole dynamic. And that's where delays could happen. So I think they're prepared for that possibility. But I think they look at this and say, we did it last year. It was a challenge. There were bumps along the way, but ultimately they played the 60 game season aside from two games. I think the Cardinals were the only ones that didn't finish, and they would have played those extra games if it mattered in the playoff race. They held their postseason. They've now seen the NFL, the NHL, the NBA uh, conduct their seasons. Yeah, there are going to be disruptions. That's just kind of the the norm here until enough people are vaccinated, but I think they're committed to, to going through this and believe that they can go through with it with all the precautions in place.
3: So that's great that they believe in it and that they think they can pull it off, but uh, you know, we've seen reports that Obviously, the league wanted to push back the start date and for safety reasons and allow more time, and the union rejected that. Now we're hearing that the union is basically hitting uh, do not disturb on government officials who are calling the Players Association and asking them to maybe push back the league start. What other hurdles do you foresee that baseball has to jump in order to get this going and and Execute a full spring training leading up to opening day, because, like you said, it's it's kind of a fragile state. Any any one thing could go wrong and send everything into another chaotic situation. Uh, What more hurdles do you see that uh, baseball has to face coming up before pitchers and catchers report?
0: Well, uh, you know, above all else, it just takes total buy in from everyone. We saw last year that when the season started and you had the outbreaks in uh, St. Louis and Miami, all of a sudden everybody had to clamp down harder and uh really stick to the protocols and and limit your movement around anywhere um so i I think they now kind of have that experience they know what it takes and maybe they're a little more conditioned to deal with that doesn't mean there aren't going to be look There are going to be positive tests It, it happens we've seen every sport there are positive tests uh the key is containing it making sure that that anyone who does is immediately immediately isolated Um, you know, if teams have to shut down the complex for a day or two, whatever it takes, that they're going to have to do that. I think you may see um, the workouts be a little more staggered. I think you might not see everybody on the field at the same time. Maybe pitchers are out in the morning, position players later in the day. There was a little bit of that over the summer when they were starting up summer camp. There could be some of that, like I said, maybe a reduction in the spring training travel where you're only playing a few teams in your more immediate area as far uh, as opposed to traveling around the the whole state. But look, there are going to be some fans in the stands. Uh, Florida and Arizona, uh, local governments will allow it. Um, The Nationals and and the Astros have already put out information through the ballpark there uh, of how to buy tickets. It's going to be clusters of of family members and groups sitting together like we've seen in a lot of other sporting events. It's going to be very limited. It's not going to be that many fans there, but there will be some. This is the first time we will have seen this you know, how will that go? Fans aren't going to come anywhere close to players. They're not going to be allowed to watch the workouts on the backfield. Media is barely going to be allowed to watch any of that. So, I mean, there are a lot of hurdles, certainly, but I, I think their feeling is they had to figure it out last year. They did, they learned from it, and now they go into this with a little better idea, but they also have to know they have to be able to adjust. Whatever they decide to do now is most likely not going to be the same at the end of this all. They're going to have to be adjustments along the way and, and reacting to whatever ends up happening is, is it just me
3: i i feel like that once again we're in a situation where it's just a giant finger pointing match between the league and the union it feels like we you know we're at on the playground at recess in grade school uh and it's a lot of talk about whether or not they should push back the season um talking about shortened season expanded playoffs universal DH, 8 yada 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 are we not talking enough about how these protocols are, is it just kind of set in stone, um, the testing, uh, the possible, uh, accessibility of the vaccine to the players, or is that already been decided upon, or is that something that they still need to discuss? And they're just waiting till the last minute to talk about, because I, I feel like I have not heard a lot of talking about the health and safety protocols. It's more about starting the season and whether or not, you know, they'll be able to start on time and how many games they'll play
0: no you are absolutely right they have not actually agreed to the health and safety protocols and that's why any news that's come out so far has all had the caveat of subject to the approval of the health and safety protocols because that could still fall apart if they can't agree on it Um, as was the case unfortunately last summer as they were going through those bitter negotiations it seems to be way more about money than anything else and let's not kid ourselves yes there are health and safety reasons to delay the start of the season but why is ownership really, what is their motivation for it? It's money. It's because if you delay the start of the season, then more people are vaccinated, which means more chances and more games that fans can attend. If on a, from April 1st to May 1st, there may be teams that are not allowed to have fans in attendance. And I, I would put the Nationals in that group based on what DC regulations have been. Uh, I think it's probably a long shot that fans are going to be on, at Nationals Park on opening day may first maybe a different story so the you push it back yeah there are health and safety reasons but from the owner's perspective it's a money thing because the later you go the more likelihood you can have more fans in the park and that's more revenue for the team so that's really their motivating factor here from the player's standpoint it's always been about one thing pay us for the full season if we're going to play fewer games you still have to pay us for the whole thing that was the genesis of all the issues last summer And even though the owners promised them full 162 games pay for 154 game schedule, which is what they're proposing, the players said, well, it's too late. You you just came to us with this, you know, two weeks before we report. We've already got guys gearing up. This is going to lead to more injuries. You're talking about a condensed schedule with more double headers and fewer days off. That's not good for injuries. And there was a feeling that if there are outbreaks along the way and there are games that have to be postponed it's gonna to be tougher to make those up in a shorter window than it would be if you start on April 1st and have the ability to extend the season later if necessary. So again, it's all about the money and uh, the, the players wanna make, make sure they're being paid in full and the owners wanna make sure that they've maximized their opportunity to recoup all the revenue they lost last year. And unfortunately, the um, the decisions are not being made uh, for health and safety reasons, are being made for financial reasons. and on top of all that, this is happening amidst you know, bad labor negotiations anyways. There's a bad relationship between the two sides. It's been building for a couple of years, long before the pandemic was a thing. It's really going to come to a head a year from now when the CBA expires. God forbid you know, w- w- what's going to happen then. But it just feels to me as an observer of both sides of this that, like unfortunately too many other things in our American life right now, they're just more concerned with trying to win the fight. Than they are with actually striking a deal that works for everyone they just want to be able to say we won and that's not what should be happening that's not in anybody's best interest
3: yeah absolutely and it's just a shame that they have to get all this done in the next two weeks and they didn't have three months to do this beforehand since the end of last season it's just an unfortunate part of all of this oh wait they actually did have three months to do this so it's good that we're talking now at the beginning of february when the pitchers and catchers are set to report in less than two weeks um, Mark, let's move on to a more happy topic and more into in-depth on the Nationals, um, the team that the, our local fans care more about. Uh, that Nats, of course, introduced catcher Alex Avila yesterday. Um, and he'll be the primary backup catcher to Young Gomes. Do you see that as a wrap on Mike Rizzo's shopping list for this offseason? I know they have a, a roster spot remaining on the 40-man that they can fill, but I feel like he typically likes to keep that open. Um, for maybe a possible another spot uh, heading into spring training. Uh, and if this is the end of their offseason shopping, how do you, would you grade the, the job that Mike Rizzo and company did so far?
0: I think the best way to look at it, Bobby, is this. Okay, they went into the offseason with a checklist. Here's what we need. We need uh, a corner outfielder. We need a first baseman. We need a number four starting pitcher. We need a left-handed reliever. And we need another catcher. So what they do? They crossed all those items off the list. They got what they needed to fill those spots. Could they have done better? Sure, you can always do better. But I think within the confines of of what their budget was and what they had to work with, I think they probably feel like they did about as good a job as they could. And there's a clear message also that's being sent here, which is this isn't rebuilding. I mean, there's a lot of new faces, but they are trying to win. They see a still window of opportunity, especially with their rotation, if healthy and productive, that they're trying to win right now. And so they're mostly going after veterans there there aren't long-term deals that were being given out here these are short-term one-year deals for mostly veterans or guys who are going to be free agents in a year or two um so i think that was the priority now could they still do more yeah there is the possibility still of uh, of another bench player perhaps i think there are they don't really have a, a true backup middle infielder number wilmer defoe left he's with the pirates now um you know, if you feel like that's important to get, maybe that's something they could do. The bigger move would still be, do they feel like they could use one more legitimate bat in their lineup? I've been saying this for a while now. I like the moves they've made, but I feel like there's still one batter short, and that batter is somebody who hits near the top of the order. Either a leadoff guy that would allow Trey Turner to move down, maybe even into the three spot, or number two hitter or number three hitter. Somebody that would share the top three spots with Turner and Soto and then allow Bell and Schwarber and Castro to move down a spot. I do think they're lacking that. I don't know that they are going to go get that. Um, they just may have decided they don't have the funds to do it right now. Maybe they really just want to see what Carter Keyboom and Victor Robles in particular do for them this year. Maybe things work out great with them. And now they've, you know, one of those guys steps up or both of them step up maybe they struggle and they realize come july okay we need a third baseman and they go try to get somebody for that so i, I still think that's possible i think as we get closer here to the end it's, it's less likely i think they're content to go into this with what they have but um you know objectively I, I like what they did in the rotation i was saying john lester all along made a lot of sense for them i like the brad hand that may be the best move of the off season getting the best reliever and and the fact that his left hand is even better and now you have bullpen depth with four guys who can pitch late innings. So I love that move. I think Avila is fine to to pair up with Gomes. They weren't getting JT Real Muto. It just wasn't going to happen. And I think Bell and Schwarber are high upside guys. We just have to see. There's a little bit of unknown there. So I like what they've done, but I would really like it if they acquired one more bat, somebody to hit near the top of the lineup. Well, they did acquire somewhat of a bat on a minor
3: league deal yesterday. Um, Not the guy that you're possibly thinking of to fit in that leadoff spot, but a name that... Nationals fans will recognize nonetheless Gerardo Parra re-signs on a minor league deal with an invite to spring training that came down Wednesday afternoon, or evening, I should say. Um, Just kind of your thoughts on the return of Baby Shark. Um, What is his role going to be? What are his chances of making the major league club uh, out of spring training and the opening day roster?
0: So, you know, every offseason there are moves they make that when they happen you say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I saw that one. You know, John Lester saw that coming. Even Josh Bell was a name we kind of thought about as somebody that could go after Schwarber was a name, Hand was somebody. I did not see Gerardo Barra coming back. When when that one came out yesterday, I like, wow, no chance. I never predicted that one in a million years. So good for them for uh, reconnecting and finding a way to bring him back. Uh, obviously, it's an emotional lift for the team. He's beloved in the clubhouse by the fans, everything else. He'll be great to boost morale. Um, you know, you hope that he's still got something left. I mean, he he did okay in Japan, not great. Did okay, he played in about 50 games, give or take over there. So let's see what he's got. But here's what I would caution everyone. Number one, it's a minor league deal, so it's not guaranteed. If he makes the club, it's a million dollars. If he doesn't, no harm, no foul. So he's not guaranteed to make the team. The way the bench is constructed right now, you know that Avila is gonna be their backup catcher. You know Zimmerman is essentially the backup first baseman. You know, Josh Harrison's on the team. He's a utility guy who can play almost anywhere. And you got to believe that Andrew Stevenson is on the team as their fourth outfielder. I mean, everything he did for them last year, they seem pretty convinced that he's a big part of this team. So there's maybe one more bench spot. Could they give it to Para? Yeah. But he's kind of the same skill set as Stevenson, another left-handed hitting backup outfielder. So there's a little crossover there, and maybe that's extraneous. You don't really need that. Like I mentioned earlier, they don't have a true backup middle infielder. Yes, they can move some other guys around who can play shortstop. Yes, Trey Turner plays every day anyways, so maybe it's not a big deal. Um, But that might be a more traditional way to go with with an infielder. So my point is this. There's a possibility that Para makes the roster, but there are some obstacles in the way. This is not by no means a guarantee. He's got to prove that he can play, and they need to actually see that they have a need for him within the confines of the rest of their roster, and particularly their bench, so much is going to change between now and the end of March. So who knows what else happens injury-wise, et cetera. Um, but it's a nice feel-good story. You hope that he's still got something left and he can contribute to this team. But I I, I wouldn't, you know, start uh, buying my Para 88 jerseys quite yet. Um, you know, there, there is still a reasonable chance he doesn't actually make the team.
3: Well, that's the good thing about the Baby Shark shirts is that those are forever lasting. So no matter if Par's on the team or not, you can always wear the Baby Shark a World Series trophy shirt, and people will know what you're talking about, or or get that reference. Um, Mark with additions, also come subtractions. Of course, this was kind of on the wall for a while, the writing on the wall for a while, uh, especially with the signing of Brad Hand that you mentioned. But Sean Doolittle agrees to a deal with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, you know, obviously that Sean played a major role in that 2019 postseason run. Yeah, uh, he was uh, the the strong force at the back end of the bullpen for a couple of years here in DC. You wrote a couple of nice pieces on MassInSports.com about Sean's contributions, not just to the team, but to the community in Washington, D.C. What kind of reflections did you come across when you wrote those pieces, and um, what are your final thoughts on Sean Doolittle's time here with the Nationals?
0: Well, it's a couple things that stand out. First of all, obviously, Sean and uh, his wife Erin Dolan represented the organization and the city extraordinarily well. You couldn't ask for a better representative for the team in the city. And, and it was genuine. You know, there are, there are players who are uh, attention hogs and and great with the media, and they kind of seek it out. Sean was never like that. He's just such a good, interesting, in-depth person who loves to discuss all kinds of subjects, both baseball and not baseball related, that he just made for a natural interview all the time. So it, it's not that he was out there looking for it. Look, I remember last May 4th, we desperately wanted him to come to a Star Wars podcast with us he yeah. didn't seek us out we just knew he'd be great for it and it was great and it was so much fun so um you know just a fantastic representative for the organization the part that i i wrote about and i hope people don't uh undersell is just how good of a pitcher he was for a large chunk of his time here when they picked him up in the middle of uh, t- 2017 their bullpen was in shambles it's not the first time that's been the case but do little Ryan Madsen and Brandon Kinsler completely changed that bullpen, turned it from the worst into one of the best. And then he in particular, from July 2017 when they got him till about May or so of 2019, was arguably the best reliever in baseball. Uh, I don't have all the numbers right in front of me. You can read the column if you want to see them all. But it's like a 1.74 ERA, a whip that was like 0.8, 52 out of 55 saves converted. He was dominant. And what happened, unfortunately, was that he was so good and the rest of the bullpen, especially early in 2019, was so bad that Davey Martinez had no choice but to keep putting him out there every night, often both to be the setup man and the closer. (laughs) he would have to pitch multiple innings way too often. Remember, this is when Trevor Rosenthal was falling apart. Kyle Bearclaw was a mess. Pretty much everybody else in that bullpen was a mess and he was the only one. And so he got overworked. There's no doubt about that. Davey would admit it. He knows it. He feels bad about it, but they had to win games. They had no choice. And so by the summer of 2019, there just wasn't a lot left in that arm. He wound up struggling. He lost velocity. He went on the injured list. Now, he came back and was great in the postseason. The combination of him and Daniel Hudson was fantastic. Neither one of them blew a lead uh, late in the game the entire postseason. So, of course, he was great but you just wonder what all that wear and tear did on his arm and on his body. And, and certainly last season, he didn't look like the same guy anymore. So I know that he left with something of a sour taste in everyone's mouth. And we may be thinking about um, his struggles and his diminished velocity. And look, there's a chance that his career is, is not going to ever be the same again. You hope he does well in Cincinnati, but you don't know that for sure. But I just hope people don't forget how good he was for over two years. And how selfless he was to take on that expanded role when they needed it desperately. He never complained about it. It may have it really hurt him career-wise, but he helped them win a World Series because of it, no doubt. And I don't know that they survive the first four months of 2019 without Sean Doolittle.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, I, I feel like his time here was felt shorter than it actually was. I remember when they first traded for him, it was like, oh, this is a great deal. He still has plenty of years left of control. He's going to be here for a while. And like that, it was gone. Um, Obviously, the condensed 2020 season didn't help in that matter. Um, But yeah, I think fans will remember his productivity over the past couple of years. Of course, giving back to the community, him and Aaron. Um, and then the World Series Championship ring. Don't forget, he was the one that recorded the last out to win the Nationals their first playoff five-game series on the NLDS at Dodger Stadium. So I'll never forget that skip he did on the mound. Uh, wait, no, Michael A. Taylor made that diving catch. It's crazy to see how many of those faces um, have gone since from that 2019 team. Um, it, Mark, it, is, it is
0: significant turnover. It's yeah. pretty remarkable how much turnover. But they got Parr back, so they filled one of the spots with yeah, it.
3: Yeah, so we'll hear Baby Shark once again throughout the course of Nationals Park another season, uh, possibly um Mark, one more real quick before you get out of here Super Bowl Sunday
0: Chiefs, Bucks, who do you have? Yeah. <laughs> uh I can't root for Tom Brady, I'm sorry. I can't either. Just, he's great. I respect him like like crazy, but like it's enough, you know. You've proven it. We, you don't need to prove us anything else. Um I I like the Chiefs. I like Patrick Mahomes. It's hard not to to kind of fall in love with that team. Maybe if they win another one we'll start to hate them cuz now they're the new dynasty, but they're so exciting. Andy Reid is so good and has been for so long. Um you know, I, I actually think they will win, but I, I, but I also kind of want them to win. Um, I think they're good for football and, and Mahomes is great. And, you know, maybe this will be the official passing of the torch if it hasn't already been passed from Brady to Mahomes.
3: Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I, I'm where right with you. I can't root for Brady. I respect that he's the greatest to ever do it. I understand that, but it doesn't mean I have to root for the guy. Um, I, I'm I'm taking the Chiefs, hopefully, and rooting for them as well.
0: So, uh, but hopefully just a good game. You know, it'll be a, high scoring. High, I, mean, high I scoring. think we can pretty say it's going to be high scoring. Yeah. I, I, and I, and it'll be close. I don't think this is a blowout or anything like that. And it may be one of those, especially with the two quarterbacks and the two offenses, whoever gets the ball last with two minutes to go, that that could be it right there.
3: Yeah. I, I just hope that if it goes to overtime, both quarterbacks will have the chance to possess the ball, unlike we saw in the AFC Championship game. Um, a couple of years ago. But, Mark, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. More from him at massonsports.com under the blog. And, of course, follow him on Twitter at Mark Zuckerman. Uh, Mark, good to see you. Hopefully we'll see you at Spring Training in a couple of weeks. If not, maybe around Nationals Park in a couple of months. Thanks so much.
0: Sounds good. Good to see you, Bobby.